0: partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.
1: From the Milton Metz Studio and the Radio TV Building at Indiana University, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, your host, and for the first part of the show, I'll be with Louise Miracle with Pie First Bakery. We'll be talking about winter baking for family and friends. And during the second part, I'll be joined by community uh, leaders who, to talk about um, how to c- become engaged during the winter months when there's a lot of call for uh, volunteerism and a lot of people in need. This week, we'll also uh, talk about some food recipes for the first minutes of the show, and then we'll have uh, these guests on for the second half to, to talk about something totally different. Um, you can't really call us today because we're pre-recording this show. Um, we've ha- taken some questions already from people, so we will have some some listener questions, but I'm sorry you won't be able to send us any questions that we can get on the show today. So. So, Louise, thanks for joining us. Good morning. It's yeah. great being here. We sort of planned this at a farmers market earlier this year, so.
2: Right. right. Yeah, today's a busy day, so getting yeah. lots of pies made.
1: Yeah, so how many pies are you making today for the, well, for the Thanksgiving? Well, 104. 104.
2: 104 pies. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have a loyal clientele. That this is the eighth year I've done um, baking for Thanksgiving, and uh, so people will actually be picking up their pies tomorrow. So mm-hmm. uh, I was uh, fast and furious this morning with uh, the chocolate bourbon pecan. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole range of pies that I'll be doing that I'm doing.
1: Yeah, what's the most popular pie that you it varies
2: do? every year? Today uh-huh. it's definitely pecan. pecan. This year it's pecan really? and Hoosier sugar cream. Okay, and then followed close second by the. Um, Pumpkin a whole range of pumpkin pies that I have. I have pumpkin with leaves that I uh, put leaves on top of it, you know dough leaves, um, candy pecans, uh, apple pie would be the most predominant fruit pie. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting it varies from year to year, but always pecan pumpkin and sugar cream.
1: So how did you get into the pie business?
2: Well, I'm actually a, uh, a retired psychologist, retired last year, and my therapy has always been making pies. And uh, my grandmother was from Germany, and I remember distinctly when I was four years old, I saddled up to her. Her name is Nani, because and and every time we went over there, she always had these great pies. Her specialty was apricot pies. And I just said, I remember distinctly, because um, I had to stand up on a chair to get to the counter, and she showed me how to make pies. And so I've been doing it since, and I pass it on my grandmother. Kids make pies. My son makes pies. My, my husband makes pies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I, I'm i going to start with one of the questions we got from our uh, one of our listeners. So uh, this listener writes in and says, I know lard is best for pie crust, yet I haven't found a recipe that comes close to what or how my grandmother made pie crust. So what can you tell us about pie crust? Do you use lard, not use lard? What are substitutes mm-hmm. for lard?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like a lard pie crust too because I think it gives a depth of, of flavor. In in my business pie first bakery, a lot of bakery, a lot of people don't like the concept of lard, so I don't make a lard pie crust. Uh, I will on occasion for my family, but not for my business. What I like is um, Crisco, and I know there's some some uh, discussion about shortening. Um, a lot of people like a butter crust. I like the flakiness that Crisco provides. Sometimes you can do a half and half, half butter and half, half Crisco. Um, but there are a couple of Tips for making a pie crust that I think might be helpful because if you take your average pie crust recipe, which I have tried, even I can't make them. They're dry, they crumble, they're frustrating as heck to work with. So, a couple of things: um, follow whatever your recipe is, but add another. I would say quarter cup of whatever the fat is, whether it's butter or or Crisco, and add also mm-hmm. um, another quarter cup of water. Because what you want to have is the is the water is going to help make a what I call a forgiving crust. It's But if you put too much water, the the, uh, flour uh, proteins that we call gluten, only occur when those two proteins mix with water, and that's that's when you get gluten. In bread, you want that because you want that sort of sponginess, but in a pie crust, you don't want the production of gluten. So you want the malleability that water gives you for the crust, but then when you add more fat, that cuts down on this on the gluten part. So you're going to get a crust, a, a dough that's just going to be easier to, to handle.
1: Yeah, there's so much chemistry involved in
2: oh uh, That's one of the things baking, that I've right? really gotten into is the chemistry of baking. The other thing, too, is all the recipes Recipes tell you to um, cut in the whatever the fat is. In this case, I use Crisco till it's the size of I think I read mostly rice or meal. That's going to give you a really tough crust. What you want to do is just cut in the Crisco or whatever till it's the size of like maybe large marbles. Because what happens to get that flakiness? Mm-hmm. Crisco has moisture in it, or any fat has moisture in it. And when it bakes, those those little globs of that of that fat send out their moisture, and that's how you get the flakiness. So if you um, go ahead and do what the recipes say and work in that fat to rice, size of rice or meal, you're going to end up with a crust that's difficult to work with and it's not going to be flaky. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, another, another thing that I use... Um, When I, because I do obviously production making of the pies, I don't use anything other than my hands. I think a, 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 I can tell the difference between a crust that's made with a food processor versus using that that sort of wedge shaped pie. uh, uh, I think it's called a a cutter that you you use. So I don't recommend using a food processor. I think you run the risk too much of too much mixing of the flour to produce that gluten. Um, Also, I, um, one of the hardest things. I'm all about cleanup, and one of the hardest things to clean up is pie crust on a counter. So I lay down some tin foil on the counter before I roll the pie crust on it. Um, I'm trying to think if there if there's anything else you want to some for some recipes like um, fruit pie recipes. I use what's called what I call crust dust. Which is an equal um, proportion of flour and sugar that I put in a shaker, and after I roll out the pie crust, I put a little bit a little bit of the crust dust on top of it and the fruit in it, and that'll keep you from getting a soggy bottom.
1: Okay, yeah. all right. <laughs> well, we want to keep a, keep away from that. Don't
2: want soggy bottoms. Don't yeah. want <laughs>
1: soggy bottoms. Uh, so I, I've noticed one thing. I've noticed, um, you know, I have to say, and full disclosure, my wife and I have been known to buy your pies um, okay. on many occasions, and they are they are heavy. Yeah. They are heavy. So is that the the fruit in the pie? Yeah, the... I,
2: each of my fruit pies has at least six cups of fruit in it. They're fruit heavy. And I really try to sweeten the, what I say this side of, of the fruit so that it, what I mean by that is I, I don't overly sweeten my pie so you really can taste the fruit. And I really mm-hmm. try to watch whatever I use for a thickener so that you get the juices there, but it still holds together as a, as a piece of pie.
1: All right. So here's another question that uh, was sent in to us. How do you make a good sugar cream pie? It's state pie of Indiana. Yeah. You've got to be able to make a good yeah. sugar cream
2: pie. Um, first of all, I'm a sugar cream pie snob, so it took me two years to develop my sugar cream pie recipe. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I use the Wix as kind mm-hmm. of a place that I, uh, direction I wanted to head to in, the, in that the Wix has two things going for it. It has um, a translucency to it, and it has a jiggliness to it. And I think those are the quintessential aspects of a sugar cream pie.
1: For those of you who don't know, Wix is a company, an Indiana company that mm-hmm. uh, has patented a sugar pie recipe. Yeah. And- they, they keep it very close to the Oh,
2: that. yeah, because uh, when I tried to about, I don't know, 10 years ago, I really worked on getting a sugar cream pie recipe, which I en- ended up finally having to devise on my own. That's why it took the two years. It's a deceptively difficult pie to develop, but once you got it, it's really an easy pie to do, mm-hmm. although it has a couple things that are a little sort of like uh, counterintuitive, one of which is when you bake it. Well, it used to interestingly be called a finger pie, That was the original term for it because when the pioneer um, women would bake it midway through, they would run their finger around it and that would keep it from separating into a a thinner layer on top and a thicker layer on the bottom. I don't bother with that because I don't mind having maybe a little bit of separation there. Um, But the thing that's sort of counterintuitive about uh, sugar cream pies is you take them out when they look like they aren't set. Because they will continue to set after they bake. If you take them out when they look set, you're going to end up with um, rubbery uh, kind of a hockey puck kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So that's kind of counterintuitive. So it's really just basically uh, flour, sugar, cream, uh, that'd be half and half, and whipped cream, vanilla, and salt. And that's it. That's with a little it. nutmeg on top.
1: Uh-huh. Is it all about the proportions that you put in? Or right. It, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: So people can experiment with it. If they
2: yeah, want. yeah. The one thing I would say, which I learned, is that if you do mix your cream with your whipping cream, which is what it takes, you've got to incorporate that thoroughly. Because interestingly enough, if you don't, you end up little lottery pockets. Of just the um, cream, if it's not, if the of the half and half, if it's not mixed up totally with the whipping cream. Mm
1: -hmm. I'm talking with Louise Miracle from Pie First Bakery uh, for for the first half of our holiday weekend show today. So you can't give us a call or you can't send us email questions in for today's show. Uh, But we're going to talk about pies the first half. Then we're going to talk about uh, community engagement and giving during the second half of the program. So, what's the fastest pie to make?
2: I'd say the fastest pie to make, and do you, uh, are we talking in terms of production or actually baking? Yeah,
1: both, uh, I both, I guess. Okay, I mean, it's probably wanna... an
2: apple pie uh-huh. because an apple pie, just the, the qualities of apples, they have their own um, amount of pectin that makes them cook really fast and you don't have to add much thickener to them. In fact, a lot of of recipes don't even call for a thickener in in, in an apple pie. But an apple itself cooks really quickly. Um, I use a combination of Pink Lady and Honeycrisp. In fact, most apple recipes, you want to incorporate two kinds of apples. Sometimes people even pre—they'll pre-cook the apples and then put them in the pie pie shell if you want them to get—if you want it to get done done really fast. But Mm -hmm. I'd say an apple pie is kind of the quickest to make and the quickest to bake.
1: Okay. So, you know, some people are going to be wanting to watch their calorie count or watch uh, their—you know, what they're eating during the holidays. What kind of healthy modifications— can people make or do you make in yeah. anything that you, that you bake?
2: Yeah, I use um, stevia if someone wants to kind of get away from sugar and go into a sugar free. Stevia is a better. Um, non-sugar sweetener to use than, for example, Splenda. There's something, there's a, I don't know the full chemistry of it, but there is something that happens in Splenda when it breaks down during the baking process that some people claim is less desirable, but Stevia, and Stevia is a one-to-one kind of proportion. However much sugar you use, you would use the Stevia. It's, to me, you really can't taste that it's not sugar. So that would be one thing you could do. Trying to think anything else uh, possibly um, instead of a full crust, go with a lattice crust you 're just going to have less dough mm-hmm. that you 're going to be eating. but the way I look at it um, to me, pie is um, it 's just such a special dessert that um, I only use the highest quality, so yeah they 're calorie packed but unless you 're eating it like every day, why not have something that tastes good mm-hmm. and, and make that make it make it um, Worth the worth the calories. Maybe have
1: a little smaller piece.
2: Right? A little small. In fact, what my husband does, he'll take a whole pie, and he cuts it up into small pieces, and puts each piece on a cookie sheet, and, and freezes them, and then puts each of those in a sandwich bag, and so he has a little stash of of pieces of pie in the back, and sometimes he'll just go rifling through to see which one he has, and right. he's been known to eat it right out of the freezer.
1: <laughs> Some people um, these days. This is a question that, that's come into us. Um, uh, are really worried about food waste, things like that. So, what do you do to try to cut down on having additional, like I don't know, that you use all the all the the apples or all the food that you get?
2: All um. So, in terms of discarding, yeah, yeah. Well, that sort of happened to me. Uh-huh. I um was uh, this was a couple years ago because i do i've done the farmer's market now eight years both the winter and the summer and i had a uh, order for cherry pie blackberry pie blueberry pie and rhubarb pie and i ended up with just these little sort of like a half cup here and a half cup there so i actually put it all together into a pie these just these extra pieces mm-hmm. and called it an orchard pie and it, it um, proceeded to become one of my more popular pies so i now actually make an orchard pie on purpose even even though it originally started out as a way not to throw away like a half See. cup of this or a half cup of that. Okay. I don't know if that kind of gets you. No, to, yeah, yeah, it does.
1: Good. That's good. So what other kind of, uh, you know, we've, we've gone through Thanksgiving, but what kind of holiday traditions do you have when it comes to food and baking and things like that?
2: Well, um, in terms of food uh, for Thanksgiving, one of the things this will be this, it's either the third or the fourth year that my family now does a pit roasted turkey. Um uh, which is where we dig and we in fact we dug at the hole three weekends ago it's five feet long four feet wide and four feet deep and it's in my garden so that it doesn't disrupt our yard and uh, we'll get up on Thursday morning around midnight and um, start a fire in this pit it takes about four hours to build up about three feet of coals and then we have a 30 pound turkey which I will wrap in 12 layers of of tinfoil lower it into the coals pour the coals over it bury it and come back in 10 hours and have the best turkey you can imagine mm-hmm. so that's kind of a thanksgiving tradition that we do mm-hmm. um, but in terms of coming up beyond thanksgiving um, one of the things that i get a fair number of orders for are yule logs and these are a uh, um, is a sponge cake that i roll with a um, it has a uh, liqueur based um, uh, filling i roll it up i frost it i Cut it to make it look like a log. I use um, a fork to make it look like bark, and then I make little um, meringue mushrooms. And uh, one of the fun things is I take um, marzipan, and which is an almond paste. It, it's uh, it's kind of like a like a, a putty, and I make it into like the size of a Hershey's Kiss. Stick um, almonds in different um, angles. Dip it in chocolate, and it's a dead-on ringer for a pine cone. And put those around too. So that's kind of a fun Christmas. Uh, kind of, of baking tradition.
1: Okay, we have about two two more questions to go. So one, I want to ask you just about, okay, cookies. Do you do any cookies around the holiday or cookies just a, a cheap form of pie?
2: Uh, boy, I, that's a good question. Um, I, I do uh, standard cookies. I am not a Christmas cookie maker. I, I think I just don't have uh, the Christmas cookie fairies that are in my kitchen, so I have a hard time with Christmas cookies. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I do all the other, the rest of the cookies.
1: Okay, and then just the last thing I know that you you know you we knew you were coming on the program. Are, are there other things, other tips, anything else that? You want to share uh, here in the last couple of minutes what we have
2: in terms of making pies? Yeah,
1: making pies. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, I think one thing is um, when you roll the crust, the the bottom crust out. It, sometimes people have a hard time transferring it into the pie pan. And so what I do is you put your rolling pin kind of midway, about third way up on the on the crust. Roll it over the, the rolling pin, and then take it and lay it into the pie. The pie pan, and then sort of situate it so that it looks pretty even. Um, crimping is um, decorative, but it also keeps the juices from rolling out. So I'm really careful with the crimping to make it look pretty, but it has a has a, a purpose too, which is to keep the thing from flowing all over the uh, the oven.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, when you, um, if you do freeze a pie, which is perfectly fine to do. Um, take it out of the uh, freezer and and uh, lay it on a cookie sheet like a cookie drying rack so that you want to get circulation underneath the f- frozen pie and that also helps prevent a soggy bottom
1: okay and last thing so the winter farmers market's going to be in a different locations yes year, right? we're
2: very excited um, we're going to be at the switchyard park uh, we're, we're in the pavilion which is a Uh, large open airy space it's got a heated floor it's indoors Um, we're going to have 34 vendors there's going to be music there's going to be a a community area where people can sit and have coffee and a croissant Um, the building looks like it was made for the farmer's market it's big open and airy there's parking right next to it no stairs if people have trouble getting up steps so we're really excited
1: okay i want to thank you thank you very much for being here today absolutely louise miracle from pie first bakery talking about some baking tips for this holiday season. Thanks, Louise. We'll be back for the second half of our program after this break.
0: From the Milton Met studio at IU's radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org.
1: Welcome back to our program today. I want to remind you we're we're being prerecorded for the holiday weekend, so you can't call in. But uh, we're back with with our live show – or not our live – we'll be back with a live show next week next friday but today we we have three guests that are very much alive here in the studio with me for the second half of the program um i'm bob zaltzberg from wfiu and i am joined for this half of the program by the reverend forrest gilmore executive executive director of the shalom community center brandon bartley the manager of food sourcing and food policy at the hoosier hills food bank and tim clower assistant director of the monroe county community kitchen Thanks for being here with us today. We really appreciate your coming in. I know it's a really busy time for you. So Our we're pre-recording this program as we head into the, the holiday weekend. And I guess I wanted to, to ask all three of you about, um, you know, the need this holiday season. We'll talk about the rest of the year, but just think about going into the holiday season. What makes holidays unique for the uh, clients that you serve, the volunteers that come support you for us? Let's start with you.
3: Sure. I mean, the biggest thing that's uh, probably uh, on all of our minds is it gets cold, you know, and, and so this is a, an extra special challenge um, for folks uh, who are homeless in particular, who are sleeping outside or are struggling with, you know, um, substandard housing, um, heating bills go up, all that kind of thing. So so that's, a, that's absolutely on a lot of people's minds and challenges right now. This As we head into um, – the holiday season, or move out of Thanksgiving and head into the to Christmas and hanukkah and Diwali and uh actually not Diwali this year, but uh, uh the, many other holidays that we have at this time of year, holidays of light and celebration a lot of people are drawn to uh thinking about poverty and thinking about people in poverty and thinking about people struggling at this time of year so so it brings a lot of attention to what's 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 going on and the challenges out there but uh for for people struggling with it, it's, it's, it's uh, probably the biggest thing is that challenge of cold and, and how that really impacts them.
1: I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I should say, Forrest, can you give us just a brief definition? What's the Shalom Community Center? What kind of services do you provide?
3: Sure. We're a uh, resource center for people experiencing extreme poverty, and we provide services from everything from that first encounter emergency when somebody's uh, struggling um, either with homelessness or with hunger. So they can come in for meals, get warm, uh, get shelter, um, all the basics, showers, laundry, uh, storage ID all those kind of supportive services and we help people all the way through to hopefully uh, getting them back into their feet with housing and uh, you know supportive services to help them stay in housing and succeed employment that kind of thing mm-hmm. so really try to be a comprehensive approach to people facing those emergency challenges of uh, of extreme poverty
1: mm-hmm. I want to move on to Brandon Bartley? He's manager of food sourcing and food policy at the Hoosier Hills Food Bank. So let's just ask you first about the about the food bank. How many people do you guys serve? You serve more than Monroe County. I know that.
4: Yeah. So we serve a uh, hundred plus agencies in six counties: uh, Monroe, Brown, Lawrence, uh, Orange, Martin, and uh, somewhat Green. Um, Yeah, a big job for us is just the collection, storage of food, and then distribution of that food to the agencies that can then uh, take the food to a soup kitchen or to a homeless shelter um, like Shalom or a community kitchen over here uh, with them. Um, So our job really right now is just to make sure that we are doing what we can to enable them to serve the people in need. Um, Need need picks up this time of year, but so does donations. Um, So...
1: What kinds of things do you get the most of at the Hoosier Hills Food Bank?
4: So right now, this is a big time for food drives. Um, We've set a pretty ambitious goal to raise 40,000 pounds between the end of October and the end of this year. Um, We're about maybe a little less than halfway to that goal right now. Um, So we're seeing a lot of that, which is kind of unique for the holiday season. Um, But our retail donations pick up as well. Um, Our retail donors start to kind of get in the fill of the holidays, and they do their extra part. Is that like
1: grocery stores? Yeah,
4: yeah, grocery stores, uh, Kroger, Walmart, Aldi's. Um, We visit every grocery store here in Bloomington, and then we also go to most grocery stores in our six counties that we serve as well.
1: Mm -hmm. I know um, there has been a time when you've tried to get more fresh food Mm -hmm. there. Uh, How's that going
4: Um, That's a big push. We're trying to distribute more than a million pounds of fresh produce. Um, Hopefully we'll hit that goal here in the next couple weeks or so. Um, Our goal is always to distribute more fresh produce each year. Um, Ideally, we'd like 30% of all the food that we distribute to be fresh produce. Um, As a food bank, we don't actually work on the ground with the people in need, so it's hard for us to kind of dictate what food goes out. So we can do our part by providing fresh produce. That's an easy way to make sure somebody has a nutritious option. That, for us, isn't too costly, and it's a way that we can kind of help um, some of our agencies just offer better choices, better nutritional choices.
1: So I'm really happy to have the three of you here because I think it helps to sort of define the different roles that you play because the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, I'm sure there are some people out there that think that you do serve clients directly, Mm -hmm. but you serve agencies like the Shalom Community Center and the Monroe County Community Kitchen. So, Tim, the Community Kitchen, what's your role in all this? (coughs) Um, community kitchen we 're primarily just
5: focused on the the food end of things so um, and about sixty percent just over sixty percent of the meals we provide go to kids or at risk youth uh, we We stay focused on that as we have since our inception back in one thousand nine hundred and eighty three um, when Shalom came along, they basically kind of cover the, the breakfast and lunch and a place for people to stay and all the wealth of other resources that people need. Um, in a way, that's allowed us to stay focused on food. We do refer people when they need other services in town. It's nice to have other places that, that we can point people to go, but we have a a variety of different programs from doing uh, lunches for Head Start programs in the morning uh, to, you know, providing some meals that are delivered by Stonebelt clients to Area 10 folks. Um, And then, of course, we provide a dinner at two locations, you know, each day, Monday
1: through Saturday. So Mm -hmm. So our our producers asked me to follow up with with Brandon about – um, one million pounds of food, how much would that serve? Um, Do you have any idea? I mean,
4: Well, so our goal, um, we have 38,000 people roughly um, that are food insecure in our six-county region. Um, one million is kind of we look at percentages, so it's hard for us to know exactly who's being served because – uh this is such a fluid issue um it's different clientele especially in some of our rural areas um but that is a good kind of uh number for us to hit that perc- or percentage of 30% of the food we distribute to be Fresh produce. Right. Okay. Um, so we're looking at doing five million pounds this year. That's okay. our goal. That's to distribute five million pounds. So we're not quite there, but that's something that we kind of set that lofty goal so that we can reach that in the
1: future. And your agencies serve about thirty-eight thousand people. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Tim, back to you. Um, mm-hmm. So your um, you you serve you focus on the the dinner meal now. It's we focus to... on the the dinner meal each day.
5: Um, And that is, you know, at both locations for anyone, adults and children, uh, we've always maintained that it's anonymous, so people can sign in when they come, so we have a track of how many people we serve. Um, But for the most part, there's nothing to fill out. Um, We try to make it as easy as possible and as barrier-free as possible for people to come and get meals. Our main location on Rogers, we serve an actual dinner, and there's cafeteria and dining facility. Our location on West Eleventh Street at the corner 11th of Eleventh Monroe is all carry out, so people can come and get warm and reheatable cold meals to go.
1: Didn't you, you put in a family room? Did not you at the?
5: Yeah, we have a, a kind of a family eating area at our main location one of the things when we were dreaming in our past location of course it's we've been in our new location about 7 years now is that you know seats were kind of spotty around the dining room and so if a, a couple came in or a, or a single parent with their kids it was often hard for them to find a place to all sit together so now that we have that kind of separate area uh you know they don't have any issues finding seating. Mm -hmm. Um, To touch on the holidays a bit, I think I'd agree with Forrest that that shelter is is when the temperatures start to go down, which is right at this time of year. Um, That's definitely a a newer worry for some folks um, just because it's cold and they can't be outside. Um, But also, I think there's a tradition or a bar set for a lot of people that Thanksgiving is that time when you have these big meals and for a lot of folks that are struggling day to day just to put food at all on the table, um, that's a time when you feel I think even more, you know outside of of that loop. <laughs> um, and so you know, providing that traditional meal and or the, the the items to have that type of meal, and really the sense of community that goes along with it—a
1: place for people to go um, to be able to do that—is is important. So, you know, we're we're entering we're in the holiday season now, and. I guess I'd like to ask all three of you what, what would you like for our listeners to know about the people that are coming to the Shalom Community Center or Community Kitchen and also any of the agencies that the Hoosier Hills Food Bank serves? Is there anything people should you know? What, are there stereotypes, misconceptions that you'd like to just blow up here now?
3: I, I you know this is uh, this is a beating a drum that we <laughs> often often have repetitions to, uh, good for. Yes, us. <laughs> absolutely. Um, um I, it it sounds almost silly to say that people experiencing poverty are people <laughs> and we start that's where we start, you know, is that's why we use we talk about people first in our language and um is um I think one of the things that I uh, love is is um uh, working with people in extreme poverty is um, that there's uh, an incredible um, uh humanity that 's constantly experienced in the work that that there 's an honesty that uh, shows up uh, there 's a kindness and a and a compassion that shows up. Um, that um and, and a sense of community and togetherness that that um, that often is missing for some of us in in maybe more middle class experiences and and uh and you know the folks that many of us work with have so many challenges and struggles um, from poverty itself to issues with disabilities to you know health challenges to uh, just on and on domestic violence there 's so many things and struggles that people um, experiencing poverty have to deal with and 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 overcome, and yet there 's um, this beautiful uh, capacity for um, for uh, gentleness and engagement and honesty and community that I just find amazing in working with with uh, the people that we work with
1: If I can just digress for a minute because you know one person that. That um, Forrest worked with a lot was a guy named John that I happened to know, and he died actually of a drug overdose. He would had mm-hmm. a really bad struggle, but the outpouring after he mm-hmm. passed—he mm-hmm. um, had a dog. People mm-hmm. and their people took I, I wrote a column about yeah, his bear. dog and yeah. bear, and people took care of his dog, and people had a service for him, and he was just part of this community. And he had people, he had friends mm-hmm. around, and it was it was really eye opening to me to mm-hmm. see that.
3: Yeah, we just lost yeah. someone just very recently that a lot of people in our community knew, uh, Leroy Neal, who was like that. He he was doing odds and jo- odd jobs for people downtown all the time, and and kind of just helping out. And um, he just uh, passed away. And so it's one of these I think interesting and beautiful things about how we often. Think of these communities as being marginalized and in many ways they are, but there's also ways in which they're very integrated into, into our, you know, communities and and into what's going on in our lives. Right.
5: Tim? Well Yeah, there I I agree with Forrest on the on the sense of community in a lot of the folks that we serve. Um oftentimes when someone is really struggling or, you know, they 're trying to find support for someone uh, people really come together and uh, you know and it and it does seem silly to kind of have to state that they 're all human I think there's a a lot of people. You know, when they think of homelessness, they also just think of people that they see on the street or someone that's asking them for something or making them uncomfortable. And uh, that's such a small um, percentage of the people that are out there that are really struggling. Um, Though equally as important, uh, there are a lot of folks that, you know, for example, a, a senior that has physical disabilities and can't get out you know, to to get a meal or a holiday meal, um, folks with kids that, you know, that can't participate in some of the programs because of transportation issues or the finances to be able to get there and do that type of thing. Um, there are a lot of folks that are living either with friends or with relatives who technically have a home but don't really have a place of their own um this time of year i think i've noticed more than in the past people that are actually out you know trying to to make a go of it in the in the weather and uh and that's kind of alarming um but there's you know, seeing yourself and others and recognizing that not everyone is given the same <laughs> box of tools to to go through life with and that, uh, you know, it it really is a struggle to to get to this this point. And then when you put the holidays on top of that, for many, it's the holidays are just like any other day. I mean, they wake up and it's a struggle to find those those basic things that they need each day
1: right so Brandon Bartley from the uh, Hoosier Hills Food Bank I want to ask that question to you but sort of in a little bit different way I mean you deal with several counties and it, are there characteristics of these different counties and the people who are being served I know Monroe County is pretty fortunate to have the kind of services that are here are other counties as fortunate
4: Uh, I would say in the region, unfortunately not. Um, There is a very uh, well-organized and thorough social security net here Mm -hmm. in Bloomington. Uh, Not quite so much in uh, Bedford, uh, Mitchell, uh, especially down in more more southern counties, uh, Paoli area, French Lake. Um, I, th- I think there's a really perception of other that uh, people think that those struggling and food insecure, they uh, they don't really recognize us, their coworkers, their family, their friends. Um, so, yeah, it definitely there is kind of that nice network here, but there is, and like uh, Forrest and uh, Tim said, the, down in the southern counties and our more rural areas, they really rely more on uh, camarader- camaraderie. Um, it's helping a neighbor out, um, and they don't necessarily think of it as uh, that they're helping them maybe find food, but just kind of that general, nice, you know, I'm willing to kind of do the extra to help uh, a friend out. Um, mm-hmm. And they kind of have to do that because there isn't a pantry available. To, you know, Bloomington here, there's probably 30 food pantries uh I don't know if there's that many food pantries in all of Orange County. Um, So it's really they have to rely on others to kind of seek what they need. And so, yeah.
1: All right. I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking with Reverend Forrest Gilmore, Brandon Bartley from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, and Tim Clower from the Monroe County Community Kitchen today about need uh, during the holiday season, but also during the rest of the year. Uh, you can't call us because we're pre-recording the program for the holiday weekend, but thanks for listening. Um, I wanted to ask each of you, and I'll start with Forrest. You know, I, I think it was Tim, you just mentioned transportation. I mean, what what are the barriers for people who are facing poverty? What are some barriers that um, either government or your, your agencies or um, service clubs could maybe step in and do more to try to... Uh, try to eliminate?
3: Oh, gosh. Uh, um, <laughs> there are many. Um, uh, one of the things that's a great barrier for people, especially those dealing with substance use disorder, is that there's not uh, the ability, there isn't immediate um, access to uh, recovery services, that, there, that on-demand recovery services are not something that we're capable of providing as a community.
1: How, how would you define on-demand recovery <clears throat> services
3: i'm ready to go into treatment right now and um help me find a place Mm -hmm. and can't do it you know that's um uh you can't it takes a a long time in some cases if you can find a recovery center at all for um people so that is a pretty serious challenge especially inpatient treatment Um, outpatient treatment is a little more accessible but inpatient is uh, extremely difficult to Mm -hmm. get access to Um, So I would say that just for substance use disorder is is a huge barrier for people. Mm -hmm. Um, There's – you know, um, a couple of weeks ago, it was one of the first really cold days and it was raining and uh, getting scary. And I was uh, working at the center just kind of doing some oversight work, supervisory work. And within – I was there for two hours, just a brief amount of time. And within that time, I had four different people come up to me um, with different um, challenges. One was uh, two were people who had been homeless for a long period of time who came up to me weeping, saying they couldn't stand another day being on the streets. Um, A third was a woman who was staying with someone else, like Tim talked about, you know, where people double up and things like that. And she was about to go into surgery the next day, and the person she was staying with said she couldn't stay with her anymore. And so she was facing the prospect of surgery with nowhere to stay. And then the third person was a person who had been in recovery um, from heroin for over six months, and he just had a, a fallback where he had a relapse and was uh, desperate to get into some kind of um, treatment center to help him not go further into that relapse. And that was just in, just in a two-hour period of people just coming up and telling me what was on their minds and what, the, what they needed and what they were struggling with. Mm-hmm. One of the barriers is just being able to find housing that people can afford. Mm-hmm. Um, we we uh, I was just talking to um, to a landlord recently who was uh, talking about due to all of the mold issues with with uh, over at, at IU that their vac- vacancy rates for a hundred for people over um, for apartments with that have twenty people or more their vacancy rates was one hundred and five. In other words, they didn't have any vacancies. (laughs) They had they had people too many people uh, in their apartments, and we've seen that on the street. Just trying to find people a place that they can afford to live in um, is extraordinarily difficult. It's gotten very much more difficult in the last year.
1: Yeah, Tim, uh, you mentioned transportation as one. Mm -hmm. Are there other barriers that uh, the people that you work with?
5: Yeah. uh, Well, especially when you know when you throw weather into it, raining and and so forth. For many of us, I think those types of things are are a bit of a nuisance. Um, but you know, especially when you're when you're a, a, a parent with children and you have to try to navigate getting from point A to point B. Bloomington isn't very large, but uh, but still, many of the places. Around dotted around Bloomington apartments, for example, um, are kind of out of the loop. You know, you may not – if you're not on that bus line or nearby the bus line, it makes it really challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for folks that, you know, with the need for shelter and food being probably the top two things, uh, having that job and being able to get to that job are oftentimes, you know – Right there in sync with it, and uh, you know a lot of people are limited by that um, transportation and it's It's always a little ironic to me to see people buzzing by on scooters you know while there's folks that can't you know mm-hmm. really make it from point A to b um, One of the things that we often get a request for bus tickets. And transportation for you know people to be able to use a bus ticket to get from point A to point B, we have one of the best you know bus systems apparently in in the country, but I think that's one area where it's kind of lacking um I'm sure forrest uh, those guys get requests for that as well year many years ago when I first started at the kitchen, we used to be able to provide those because we would get them at a discounted rate but that disappeared a long time ago. So, um, I think that's an area where we could, as a community, make some improvement. Um, the more people have access to services, the easier it's it's going to be for them. Brandon, anything you want to add to these
1: barriers?
4: Yeah, uh, we run a senior food box program. We serve a 1,000 seniors, um, and we see transportation issues there as well. Um, we allow somebody that can't pick up a box to have a proxy come pick up a box for them. And uh, I don't know how many calls we get each month where the proxy's car broke down, so now that proxy might have picked up a box for five or six fellow seniors, and now they're all struggling to find a way to get to uh, the distribution so we try to offer the ability to go to other distributions. We have four um, south of Bloomington, but even that can just be troublesome. Um, it, it really is just a struggle for transportation, um, and it extends this whole region.
1: Let me ask about uh, employment and education. Are those? You know, I'm, I'm sure those are barriers for for some. What kind of what kind of accommodations are we able to make in Monroe County and or any place in this region? In the way of employment or educating people who are living in poverty.
3: Yeah, part 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 of the challenge, I think, with employment uh, um, is um, is finding employment that's also at least a living wage, <laughs> and um, so there there are there are jobs out there. Many of them are, um, but but uh they're the ones that are accessible to people with the greatest challenges tend to be um uh, uh, very customer service driven very restaurants fast food um so low low pay um unreliability of hours um and unpredictability uh, kind of a schedule n- not necessarily benefits to fall back on so um so there's um so one of the biggest challenges isn't so much a lack of jobs; it's a lack of quality jobs, and and um, and that that always, whenever you have a, a society that has uh, that challenge, um, th- that always hits the most vulnerable people in our community first. They're the ones that get 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 slapped or attacked, or they're the ones that get 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 hurt the most when our economy is doing poorly, and. One of the things that's interesting, you know a lot of people are now are talking about how the employment rate is going down which is which is great uh, however, extreme poverty is actually increasing, so we have this weird paradox where um, unemployment is reducing, but people are getting more more impoverished and and that 's the reality of our economy is that the, uh, despite the fact that jobs are available, people are still getting more are getting poorer mm-hmm.
1: okay. We we did have a uh, – you guys can respond to that, but we did have a a person send in a question to us about transportation. How does that affect regional poverty? Are people – and it goes on to say it's expensive to live in Bloomington, hard to commute in by bus from outside counties is what the person points out. Is that what you guys see? They're, they're all nodding their heads <laughs> there's a great paradox
3: of um uh of housing and transportation that you know the further you get out uh the the more uh, of the city uh, the more affordable housing becomes but then the more expensive your transportation costs become mm-hmm. so there's this interesting you know challenge and struggle that that um that we push people out to the edges of our communities mm-hmm. um and then The bus doesn't – the bus system doesn't necessarily run there or – so then they have to rely on a car and if that car, um, you know, is expensive and and likely to break down, then that creates transportation issues too. So there's absolutely a relationship to um, where people live and what they can access Mm transportation-wise.
1: As we, we talked about weather and how it's going to be getting colder and how that's a, that's a major issue, I wanted to ask about the status of the winter shelter, the the low-barrier winter shelter. Is that going to open anywhere this winter?
3: So, so yeah. Wheeler is, um, uh, took on the management of the overnight winter shelter, um, and so they run tw- 12 months a year now with a similar model to – the overnight uh, winter shelter, the the emergency winter shelter, um, and so in effect, interfaith winter shelter um, folded as an organization, and and Wheeler's now doing that. And the biggest difference now between uh, the winter and the off months is that um, is is that the requirements to um, enter the shelter at Wheeler are less. They've they've been exploring um, making. Uh, more requirements of, of their clients. They started that in September, but now as we enter into we- Wheeler, it's uh, this is dangerous. You need shelter. Let's get you in and get you safe. Um, and so that's happening and going and and, and active, um, and um, and that'll go through March thirty first when they'll return to their um, to their more regular mm-hmm. um, processes.
1: Tim, what kind of trends have you seen? You've been at this a long time, I know. Um, have, uh, you know, what kind of progress can you point to? Or are we backsliding?
5: Um, wow, that's a that's quite a question. Um, trends, I mean, I think over the years, I've been at the kitchen for about 17 and a half years. And, I mean, I've seen a steady increase in meals that we've provided but oftentimes that can be attributed to you know increases in programming and outreach the types of things that we're doing um, I think the makeup that I've noticed in bloomington of just people that are struggling and more apparently struggling meaning that you people you actually see on the street um, has definitely has definitely changed um, I think you know, we're open just for dinner, so basically a couple hours each day to the general public. And, uh, you know, it's we see people with um, more challenging issues. I think for many years that I've—I mean, I've been in Bloomington since 1982, and I used to recognize majority of the people that I would see on the street, They were regulars, if you will, or just people that, you know, had the myriad of different challenges and issues, but you would see a lot of the same folks, and and I've seen a a kind of changing population of folks, Um, certainly some of the same people, um, you know, somebody that is uh, on a fixed income a senior that's that's widowed, for example, um, that that comes in to use our services regularly. Somebody that certainly needs those services. Um, but there are other folks that uh, the the population is changing, and I think from what I've seen, some of those those challenges um, are are harder to to deal with um, and to find solutions for. And I think that touches on what Forrest mentioned and that if people are in any type of recovery, that there isn't really a system there for them. If people have mental health issues and are on the street and have to make choices between medication that keeps them stable and not, um, there seem to be more folks in that realm, Mm -hmm. and just frankly folks that are having a hard time finding a decent-paying job. Mm -hmm. Um, Though the unemployment rate is down, you have to think what types of jobs are those that are available. Are they more good-paying jobs, or are they just more
1: jobs? All right. We are out of time. I want to thank uh, Forrest Gilmore, Reverend Forrest Gilmore from the Shalom Community Center, Tim Clower from Monroe County Community Kitchen, and Brandon Bartley from the Hoosier Hills Food Bank for being here with us today. For our producer, Benta Boutier, engineer, Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.
0: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, Fiber Internet, Streaming TV, Home Security, and Automation in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from The Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports, in print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device